morning, if you would, with me. And as I've said many times, I, I have absolutely, I, I'm in my comfort zone right here with this, singing. I'm not in my comfort zone back here, but um, it'll be all right. You know, I really appreciate Pastor, and, and uh, I, I'm always glad when he gets a chance to take a break and get away for a little while, and um, Mrs. Smith was able to go with him this trip, and so it's nice, but um, I really appreciate him. Make sure you, you let him know when he comes back next Sunday that you miss him and you appreciate him. Uh, be sure you let him know how much he means to you. Um, we have a good pastor here. We have a very good pastor here. Uh, but if we don't treat our pastor right, God, God will remove him and give us someone we deserve. So uh, make sure you treat him well. Make him feel welcome. You know, I was uh, <clears throat> reading some redneck jokes this week. And I don't, we have any rednecks here? You know, I didn't realize I was a redneck until I read these. <laughs> I, I honestly didn't realize I was a redneck. until I used to laugh at redneck jokes. And then I read these this week, and I realized, hey, you know, most of these fit me. But um, I thought I'd share some of these with you real quick. Uh, you might be a redneck if you ever listed fuzzy dice on an insurance claim. So if you got in a car accident and you listed your fuzzy dice as one of the items you lost. You might be a redneck if your trolling motor used to be a fan in a barber shop. Uh, I've, that, okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, you might be a redneck if... You use an ironing board as a knick-knack shelf. Uh, whew, man, when I read that one, I said, uh-oh. Uh, you know, anything in my house that has a flat surface, you bring it in, flat surface, within a week, it's used to put everything on it. I mean, you know, hang clothes on it, put mail on it, everything. Uh, you might be a redneck if you think the Battle of the Bulge is an argument between your wife and your mother. That's uh, whew, dangerous ground. You might be a redneck if... And where I'm from, lots of people do this. You might be a redneck if uh, you've ever driven around looking for your porch roof after a storm. Yeah, we, <clears throat> we've done that. Um, you might be a redneck if your best towels say property of Motel 6. Not, not my towels, but I have a... Uh, you might be a redneck if <clears throat> you get your daily requirement of fiber from toothpicks. Now, when I read this when I was in trouble, Mrs. Chaddock has a rule to keep toothpicks for me in the kitchen, so... Uh, Mrs. Chaddock, I, I'm a redneck. Uh, you might be a redneck if, oh, I tell you, if you have a rag for a gas cap. How many of you have ever used a rag for a gas cap? Come on, be honest. I have. <clears throat> you might be a redneck if, this is my parents, you have to go outside to get something out of the fridge. Yeah, my mom and dad have their refrigerator outside on the back porch. We're rednecks, I didn't know that. Um, you might be a redneck if you have three cars that don't move and one house that does. <laughs> now, this is me. You might be a redneck if you prefer spraying weed killer on your lawn than mowing it. That's uh, my backyard. <laughs> uh, once a year, I mow my backyard with the weed killer. Um, you might be a redneck if taking your wife on a cruise means circling the Dairy Queen more than once. For you NASCAR fans, you might be a redneck if you think the last words to the star-spangled banner are, gentlemen, start your engines. Wow, okay. You might be a redneck if you can change the oil in your truck without ducking your head. That's those giant trucks that are jacked way up in the sky. And none of you are rednecks, obviously, because I have to explain them to you. And you might be a redneck if the Halloween pumpkin on your front porch 
has more teeth than you do. So uh, I didn't realize until this week I was a redneck, folks. I'm sorry. I always thought I was dignified, but I found out I'm a redneck. So uh, I'm not going to laugh at redneck jokes anymore. I'll laugh at Kentucky jokes all you want to tell, but I won't laugh at redneck jokes anymore. All right. Uh, we're going to share some time here this morning quickly, and let's all stand together with our Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, I'll read through verses 1 through 12, if you'll read silently with me. Then Jesus spake to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, and therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be ye not called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, For one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. I pray now as we speak from your word that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and minds. I pray that Christ would be lifted and magnified in all that will be said. And I pray that when we leave this place today, all that that you would have done would have been done. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you here have ever heard of the term spatial disorientation? Any of you ever heard of the term spatial disorientation? Probably uh, if you've been in the military and if you've done any amount of flying in the military, you've probably heard of this term. Uh, Spatial disorientation is a condition in which an aircraft's pilot's perception of direction does not agree with reality. While it can be brought on by disturbances to or diseases within the vestibular system, it is more typically a temporary condition resulting from flight into poor weather conditions with low or no visibility. Under these conditions, the pilot may be deprived of an external visual horizon, which is critical to maintaining a correct sense of up and down while flying. A pilot who enters such conditions will quickly lose his spatial orientation. During flight, most of the senses are fooled by centrifugal force and indicate to the brain that down is at the bottom of the cockpit, no matter the actual attitude of the aircraft. Only the inner ear and visual sense provide data to the contrary. The inner ear contains rotational accelerometers, known as the semicircular canals, which provide information to the lower brain on rotational acceleration in the pitch, roll, and yaw axes. This system is imperfect, and errors develop in the brain's estimate of rate and direction of turn in each axis. Normally, these errors are corrected using information from the visual sense, in particular, an external visual horizon. Once an aircraft enters conditions under which the pilot cannot see a distinct visual horizon, the drift of the inner ear continues uncorrected. Errors in the perceived rate of turn about any axis can build up at a rate of 2 to 3 degrees per second. 
These errors will build up to a point that the control of the aircraft is lost, usually in a, in a steep diving turn known as a graveyard spiral. During the entire time leading up to and well into the maneuver, the pilot remains unaware that he is turning, believing that he is maintaining straight flight. The graveyard spiral usually terminates when, number one, the G-forces on the aircraft build up to and exceed the structural strength of the airframe, resulting in catastrophic failure, or two, the aircraft contacts the ground. The average time between onset of instrument conditions and loss of control is 178 seconds. In less than three minutes, a man's life is lost because he lost his perception. Today, we live in a society obsessed with fame. It is seen in every facet of our society. On our televisions today, we see programs such as American Idol or Next Top Model or Dancing with the Stars. A new and self-centered philosophy has replaced the ones of our forefathers. Everyone today is looking for the fast buck, the get-rich-quick theme. The, the workplace today is filled with people who want more for less, that is, more pay for less labor. This very philosophy has produced a generation of men and women that place too great a value on themselves. Men such as Terrell Owens, who, who think that they are worth more than in reality they are. It, is a, it has produced an arrogant and wasteful society. It is a society in which athletes are paid more in one season than the gross economy of some small countries around the world. It has produced a nation that gives rise to a plethora of home shopping networks. We are a society that lives for the next acquisition, the next purchase. It has bred greed and envy, hatred and violence. It has turned father against son and mother against daughter. No longer are we a nation that places value on honor. No longer are we a nation that gives honor to righteousness. No longer are we a nation that makes righteousness our standard. So which way is up? Notice in our text this morning that we read from Matthew, you should still be there, that Jesus exposes this very philosophy in the persons of the scribes and Pharisees. These men that Jesus spoke of in this passage of Scripture live by tradition, not by principle. They walk in pride, not in humility. They seek to be served, not to offer service. They are greedy of gain, not generous in giving. Now, with the time that we have this morning, allow me to make some observations concerning this philosophy of today. Which way is up? I'll answer that question when we get to the very last point in today's message. Number one, let me answer this question. Which way is up in salvation? Which way is up in salvation? Take your Bibles with me, please, and turn to Acts chapter 16, if you would. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We'll begin reading at verse number 25. I said, which way is up in salvation? Acts chapter 16. And beginning at verse 25, we read, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, 
And seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Allow me to set the scene for you for a moment. Paul and Silas had been arrested, and they'd been arrested because they were, they were preaching Christ. And they were in prisons, and they were, hands and feet were locked in, in, in bonds, in chains. It was a common thing in these days that the prison was nothing more than a simple house. And one man was elected sheriff, if you would, and he kept the prison. So this man was in his home. The prisoners were locked safely in an inner room, and he himself was fast asleep in his bed. At midnight, Paul and Silas were singing praises unto their God. A good thing to be doing, by the way, during the midnight hours, when things are their darkest and seem to be their bleakest. They were singing praises unto God. And God sent an earthquake, and that earthquake shook the foundations of the home. And that earthquake broke loose the, 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 the foundation to which they were chained, and their chains were set free. And this, this earthquake shook loose the doors that had them encased, and these doors came open. Now for this jailer, that would have been a bad thing for the prisoners to have escaped, for he's responsible. And if the prisoners escape, more than likely it will cost him his life. So rather than be torturously murdered, he decided to take his own life and drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul cried out and said, Sir, do not harm yourself. Do thyself no harm, for we all be here. And this man, seeing the testimony of Paul, hearing, I'm sure, the preaching and singing and praising of Paul, came in and fell to his face and said, What do I have to do to be saved? Now certainly, at least in his own mind, I'm sure this jailer thought himself better than the criminals that were in his home. Yet at this moment, he humbled himself before them. He humbled himself because he came to know Jesus. Oh, how many today reject Christ and his salvation because they think they're too important. Or they think they're just too busy to subject themselves to to the gospel of Christ. Turn with me quickly in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse number 16. We read together, Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse number 16. Then he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Uh, No more fun for him. He's married now. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, And bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And of course, this is a picture of the nation of Israel rejecting Christ as Savior and the Lord bringing salvation to the the homes of the Gentiles. 
Now, there are two groups here in this, in this room this morning, two groups sitting here, those that hear the call of Christ and those who do not hear the call of Christ. In John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. However, in the verse preceding that, verse 26, he said, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. So there are two groups here this morning. One that hears the voice of Christ. Those who are his sheep and those who do not hear the voice of Christ. Now the one group that does not hear the voice of Christ, you may hear my voice talking about Christ today, but the calling of the Holy Spirit does not enter your ears. Oh, you hear me or another preacher talking about Jesus, but your heart is not pricked. Your heart is not convicted by the Holy Spirit of God over your need for the Savior. Then concerning the second group, you may be here this morning, and you do hear the Holy Spirit calling unto you right now. But you, along with all of these, make excuses. Now, carelessly and foolishly, making an assumption that you still have time to worry about this. You have time to, to get saved. Oh, I have, I have all the time in the world. I'm young. Oh, I have time. I'm in the middle of something right now. I can't stop. But don't forget the words of King Solomon. In Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1, Solomon writes, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And again, again James tells us in James chapter 4 and verse 14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. So to you who sits here this morning and hear the call of Christ, you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, yet you say, I don't have time today. I'm not ready today. Let me declare unto you, the way to heaven up is to kneel down at the cross of Christ. The way to heaven is to kneel down at the cross of Christ. There is no other way. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other Savior In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, we read, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And there is no better time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, we read, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So you're sitting here today, and you're hearing the call of Christ right now. You're not hearing just my voice, but in your heart you feel the calling of the Lord unto you. You may say, how do I change my direction? How do I change my direction in this matter of salvation? Which way is up in salvation? Romans chapter 10 tells us, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you here today? You hear the call of Christ? You've never acknowledged that call in your life. 
What do I have to do? That jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans, the word is near, even in your mouth. Call unto the Lord and be saved today. Are you here today and you are not saved? Which way is up in salvation? The way up in salvation is down to the cross of Jesus Christ. It is there and there alone you will find eternal life. So first today we see which way is up in salvation. Secondly, which way is up in service? Which way is up in service? Turn now to Matthew chapter 18 if you would. Matthew chapter 18. We'll begin reading at verse 1. Matthew chapter 18 beginning at verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a question that consumes our society today. Who is the best? Who is the greatest? For the next week, we're going to hear nothing but talk about Chicago and Indianapolis. Who's the best quarterback? Who's the best running back? Who's the best linebacker? Who's the best uh, punt returner? Who's the best at this? Who's the best at that? Now, I'm not going to waste your time this morning trying to define the world's definition of greatness. We're going to look at what God says concerning greatness this morning. Let us take a few moments and discuss this. I've raised three children, and I've learned some things about children over the years, and I'd like to share those with you. Jesus said, except ye be like converted and be as a little child. Jesus called this little child. These, these disciples were standing there. Lord, who's the best? Am I the best? Peter's there. Am I the best, Lord? John's there. Am I the best, Lord? James is over there. No, I'm the best, Lord. It, it even came so far as one of the mothers of the, of, of the two disciples came and asked Jesus, can my two sons sit on, on your opposite hands in heaven? Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus called that little child and said, whoever becomes as this little child, will be great in heaven. So what is it about a little child makes him great? Let me share two thoughts with you. First, a child is dependent. A child is dependent. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we read, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Children are dependent. A child is trusting and dependent upon his or her parents. Unlike adults who find their confidence in themselves. Children find their confidence in their parents. Jesus did not gather adults around him and say, unless you become as these adults. I remember I, I, I went to a barber years ago, and I, ste- I walked in the barbershop, and he had a placard on his wall I thought was great. It said this, I wish I had all these problems when I was a teenager and knew everything. But a little child, little child doesn't know anything and doesn't pretend to know anything, do they? they just, they're just dependent upon their parents. Too many of us today think that we know it all. 
I remember some years back, a, a man who used to be a member of this church was having some problems, and I went to his home just to talk with him and visit him. And this is what he told me. He said, there is nothing you can tell me that I don't already know. And I said, you're right. If that's how you feel, then you're right. I can't tell you anything. See, that man, he, did, he wasn't dependent. He wasn't like a little child. He, he didn't care. He thought he knew it all. I can't trust in my feeble and finite understandings. In Proverbs 12, 15, we read, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. I'm sorry, Mr. Jiminy Cricket. You're not right. You can't let your conscience be your guide because your conscience is subject to corruption. We can't trust our conscience. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we read, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now we can't trust our conscience. And a little child doesn't depend on his conscience. A little child depends on his parents. A little child depends on his father to provide for him and love him and care for him. And just as a little child, you and I, if we want to go up in our service for God, we must humble ourselves and become dependent upon him. But there's another thing about a little child, and that is this. <clears throat> Second, a child is devoted. Not only is a child dependent, but they're also devoted. In Psalm 37, verses 5 and 6, David writes, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. <coughs> and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Children, little children, seem to live for only one thing, and that is to please mom and dad. <coughs> Have you ever noticed that? <coughs> you can give a child the greatest thing in the world. It's not going to excite him as much as when he knows he pleases his parents. That's what children live for. That's what they live for. Any of you who have ever spanked appropriately your child knows this to be true. They just want to please you. Uh, you know, uh, I, my dad used to tell me, this is going to hurt me more than you. I used to say, well, we could work up a deal here then, Dad. We could strike up a deal real quick. And I'm going to tell you something. I raised three kids. That's not true. It doesn't hurt me more than it hurts them. Discipline's a good thing. But a child is devoted. Their love is unconditional. Children seem to, to live for just this one thing. It's not based upon what you do. You listening to me? The devotion of a child to his parents, a little child, is not based upon what the parents do. It's based upon who you are. You're their dad. And they love you. This is seen, this is seen even in, in, in children who are abused. Even in children whose parents abuse them. It amazes me the devotion and love these children have. Why? Because they want to please their parents. What about you and I today? Are we dependent upon our Father? Or do we think that we don't need God? We're so complete in ourselves, we don't need the Lord. Oh, it's okay to go to church every now and then. and You know, maybe if I'm in a good mood, I'll attend an adult activity. But I don't really need God. Do we, do we love God unconditionally? The way a child loves his parents? Are we devoted to our Savior? Well, the way up 
in service is to come down in humility. And then let me say thirdly today, which way is up in stewardship? Which way is up in stewardship? I'm going to ask you to turn one more time with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read at verse 38. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse, I'm sorry, verse 36, not 38. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Now to fully understand this point, we must understand what is meant by stewardship. A steward is someone who manages property or affairs for another. So if you are saved today, you are a steward of God. And as stewards, we have responsibility. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 tells us, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, all of us today fall into one of two categories as stewards. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 24, we read, There is that scattereth, yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meet but attendeth to poverty. There are two groups within the stewards. There are those that abundantly give and those that withhold. Now, as with this matter of stewardship, I will not waste your time this morning telling you how to be poor stewards. Instead, I will share God's instructions on how to be good stewards. How to be good stewards, first of all, number one, with our time. Good stewards with our time. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read from verses 15 through 17. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You see that term, redeeming the time. Maybe some of you are old enough. I'm sure many of you are old enough. How many of you remember green stamps? Any of you remember green stamps? Yeah, when I was a kid, my mother used to collect green stamps. You go to the grocery, and they total it up. And as, as the grocer was clicking the dials, the little green stamps were popping up. And mom used to take all those green stamps, and she'd bring them home. And when we'd get home, she'd take the little books out, and she'd put them on the table. And I'd, I'd wet the back of them and stick them in there. And we'd do that together, her and I. And then when she had enough books to get what she wanted, she'd take them down, and she'd trade them in. She'd redeem them for something else. Can I tell you something? Paul said, redeem the time. Do you realize that every second of your life, you trade for something? I want you to think about that for a moment. You trade every second of life that God has given you for something. When you pray, you've traded that time to pray. When you sing praises unto God, you've, you've, you've redeemed you've exchanged that time to sing praises unto God. When a father lovingly cares for his children, he's traded that time to lovingly care for his children. 
When a husband loves his wife as he's commanded, he's traded that time to love his wife. But oh, when we watch poor programming on TV, or when we rob, or when we lie, we're trading time for that. Are you a good steward with your time? Am I a good steward with my time? Are we redeeming our time? Are we trading our time for things that profit the work of God and things that bring glory to the name of God? Well, it's my time. I have a right to do with it what I want. You're right. But you're going to give an answer for what you do with your time. There's going to be an accounting, and we're going to have to answer for every second of life that we traded because we traded it for something. We purchased it with our time. Solomon warned us not to boast of tomorrow. James told us life is brief. Many have good intentions. Oh, next week I'll do more for God. Oh, next month I'll have more time to give. Just remember this. If you will do anything for God, do it now. Tomorrow may never come. Be a good steward with your time. Then, secondly, be a good steward with your talents. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. But he that giveth, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. You see all the talents Paul listed there? You will either use what God has given you for him or for yourself. Some of you here today can sing, yet you do not sing in the choir. Some of you here today can lead a class or a group yet you sit quietly and wait for someone else to take the lead. Some here today can play musical instruments, yet you remain quiet about this and allow the load to be carried by just a few. And as unfaithful stewards, we withhold the talents that God has given us for His glory. We sit back and do nothing for fear that we might fail. In my office, I have a little model sailing ship that was given to me by a dear friend. And on the sail, it's, it's, it has metal sail, and on the sail is etched the following words. And I read these every day. It reads, The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. He whom God calls, he equips. You need to remember, it is not you that, it, that does the work. It is Christ within you. All he needs is a willing vessel. Let me ask you a question. Will you be that vessel? Be good stewards with your time. Be good stewards with your talent. And then lastly this morning, be good stewards with our treasure. Our time, our talent... And our treasure. In Matthew chapter 6, we read, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, 
and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me ask you a question today. Where does your treasure lie? Where do you have your treasure buried today? Is it in houses and land? Is it in cars or boats or RVs? Is it in IRAs or mutual funds? The devil wants to keep missionaries off the field. Did you hear me? The devil wants to keep missionaries off the fields. He wants to keep Sunday school classes from being conducted. He wants you to satisfy every material need you have today. After all, don't you deserve it? Well, that's what the media would have us, that's what advertising would have us believe. You deserve a break today. So get out and get away. All these gadgets that sell on TV for $19.99. Got to have them. Have to have it. It's the greatest new thing. It's the best thing since, since shoelaces. And two months later, you can go down to the local thrift stores and pick them up for 25 cents because they're junk. But people had to have them. Now, don't get me wrong this morning, please. Don't go out of here and misquote me. I think that you should live in the best house you possibly can. I believe you should drive the best car that you can afford to drive. I think you should take a nice vacation if you have the means to do so. I believe that you should prepare for your future and be frugal with your money. I believe that. But none of this should be done at the expense, at the expense of the Lord. This is where the devil and I differ. I want to see this church succeed. He wants to cripple this church. Let me close with this thought concerning our giving, our treasure. A penny saved is a penny earned. That's true. But let me say this. A tithe paid is the devil spurned. Are you a good steward today? Are you good stewards with your time? Are you good stewards with your talents? Are you good stewards with your treasure? The way up in stewardship is to be down. The way up is to give. There is he that giveth, scattereth, yet he is increased. And there is he that withholdeth, and yet he never has enough. Which way is up? The last blanks on your answer sheet answers the question. You may have figured it out already. Which way is up? The way up is down. And the way down is up. You exalt yourself, get ready for a fall. You're coming down. But you go down, and you let God lift you up. Let's bow our heads and pray quickly. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you here today, and you don't know you're saved? Remember, I said there's one of two groups. There's two groups in this room today. Those that hear, and those that do not hear. And of the group that hears, there are some that hears, but have not acted. 
Are you here today and you could not say, I know that I'm saved, I know that I'm born again, but I do hear the voice of the Holy Spirit right now calling my heart? Is that you today? If it is, then do not leave this room. Do not leave this building until you have made sure your salvation. Are you here today and you are saved, but you're not serving God as you should? Are you here today and you're not a good, as good a steward as you ought to be? Then you need to confess that to God today. And you need to, to, to go down so that God can bring you up. Which way is up? Well, the way up is down. The way up is down. We're going to sing in just a moment. And if you need to do business with the Lord this morning, you make sure. Don't you let the devil keep you from making those commitments to God. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. I pray now that as we join together in this song of invitation, that your Holy Spirit would have his way in our hearts and minds. And bless all that we will do today in this hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.